Welcome to The Nail. We'll have our old friend T.D. Darion in just a minute to talk Tribe. But first, a reminder, Travis is writing in Pelotonia to raise money for cancer research, and you can donate to support the cause. Go to pelotonia.org slash Travis to donate. 100% of every dollar raised by writers goes directly to research at the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, the James. Every dollar matters. Donate today. Pelotonia.org slash Travis Also speaking of good causes, the nail is once again supporting our buddy John's golf outing, the JW Golf Classic. It's a memorial outing to remember his dad. This year takes place August 4th at Painesville Country Club. It's a shotgun start, steak dinner, lots of prizes. It's a real good time. Uh, Proceeds go to the John Warner Scholarship Fund at Eastlake North High School. Spots are filling up fast, but uh, if you're looking for a good reason to hit the links next month, check out our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the nail podcast where we'll have a post up with all of the details. All right, with that bit of business out of the way, let's talk Tribe with TD. The nail in the coffin! It's the nail. I'm Tom. He's Travis. It's Wednesday night. Trav, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well, my man. How are you doing, Tino? I'm uh, I'm feeling great. I'm real excited because uh, this is uh, one of uh, my favorite uh, nights of the year. Uh, we've got uh, our annual midsummer tradition, uh, the state of the tribe, with our uh, our old pal TD Derry. TD, how are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks for having me, and I can't say how much I look forward to this as well. So. Jack, let's do it. Yeah, you are you are joining us after just wrapping up an appearance on ninety two three the fan tonight. Uh appreciate I'm in, high I'm in high demand for all of a sudden. You are well, <laughs> I, I just wanted to I just wanted to say I'm glad you went on there and, and worked out the kinks before you came on to the main show here uh after that. So um all's well needed the practice. <laughs> needed the practice, yeah. It's exactly right. You don't need any practice, you're good to go uh right off the bat. I know how you roll. But uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's get into the Indians. Uh, expected to win the Central coming into the year. Uh, are you at all surprised though that they pretty much have the division uh, in in firm control, if not entirely wrapped up already here at the All Star break? Um, even though there are only nine games over five hundred, I wouldn't say I'm surprised completely. I didn't think that, well, going into the season, I knew that the White Sox, Royals, and Tigers had no shot. I thought that, I thought the Twins would at least hang around for a while. But that rotation, you know, they haven't had Irvin Santana all year. Lance Lynn, to me, is, you know, they when they signed him, people were excited. Ooh, they got Lance Lynn. He's just another, to me, Ryan Dempster, Kyle Loge, you know, one of those guys who – you know, National League looks great. Then he comes over to the to the real circuit where they actually play real baseball, and he's he is what he is. So I didn't think that you know, other than uh, Jose Barrios, I, I was never really impressed with that rotation. So I can't say I'm super surprised, but uh, you know, the fact that basically the Twins could be sellers at the All Star break is you know it's a little surprising to me. I like that we're already throwing daggers at the NL. <laughs> I like, oh, yeah. I like NL, 30 seconds NL in, we're talking about how that's fake baseball over there. 
Well, NL ball is garbage. I, you know, the, 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 the bunting and the let's, let's intentionally walk the eighth place batter. I, I can't remember who it was, but it was some eighth place batter on an, on a average to below average team was the only person who had more intentional walks than Jose Ramirez this year. I heard that stat like two weeks ago. I was like, yeah, because it's garbage national league baseball that they intentionally walk the eighth place batter to get to the guy, you know, who, who, you know, who doesn't hit. I mean, when I remember uh, the, the Indians played the Cubs earlier in the year and Adam Plutko had to come up and bat. He said he hadn't swung a bat since his junior year in high school. Okay. So when, when one, and there's a reason for that because no one yeah. wants to see him bat. Exactly. It, it, it's nothing drives me more crazy than the fact that at every single level of professional baseball, the pitchers don't bat except for the national league. It's, it's, let's just get the DH in there already. Let's come on. It seemed uh, even more glaring yesterday as they were playing in an NL park and still yeah. using the DH. Well, that's the thing. Like, I don't understand why they need to do that. Like, just just when it's when it's interleague play, which by the way they need to get rid of interleague play. Like the the nostalgia is worn off on that. When when they when they moved, you know, to interleague play, and you know, originally it was like, oh, the, the American League bat, the pitchers are batting in the National League Park, isn't that fun? Can, can we just go to DH and in the interleague games? Would that be so hard? It's just it's not right. I mean, who was it? I think it was Masahiro Tanaka ended up on the DL. He pulled his hamstring running the bases. These guys aren't built to bat and run the bases and build to pitch. Stupid. You're getting a yeah, lot of I don't, for me. No, I don't Sorry. know if there's a vocal, like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that there's a vocal. I know there's, there's a handful of people, but I don't know that there's even a, a, a significant percentage that is actually still clamoring for pitchers to hit. There's, there's loud people that seem to pipe up every once in a while, but overall as, as you know, a majority of the group, I don't think it's even, even noticeable. Yeah, it's it's basically you know people that grew up National League fans and they say, oh, it's taking away from the strategy of the game. Which come on, it's that's such garbage. I saw Adam Wainwright tweet the other day that I really hope that p- pitchers begin to, you know keep batting and this is the way baseball was meant to be played. Well, if that's the case, then why does nobody in any other league other than the National League have the pitchers bat? All right, so oh, wow. I I had sorry. Some- <laughs> No, this is good. This is good, actually, because I wanted to pick your brain a little bit on something sort of related to this, and we're going to get back into the Indians in just a minute, but um, something that I thought that was kind of interesting that came out, I think it was yesterday, and it it spilled over into today, was the commissioner uh, talking about Mike Trout needs to be more I don't know. I didn't see the exact quote, but something to the effect of it, he needs to take it on himself to be more marketable. And, uh, you know, it just kind of speaks to this whole uh, bigger picture of the marketability of baseball. And by the way, credit to the Angels for firing back and having their players back on that, which is 100% what I thought they should be doing. Um, But as we kind of get into talking about whether you should have the um the dh or not and and just the the marketability of the sport um where do you stand on all this and and what did you think of that whole exchange i thought it was ridiculous by rob manfred i i think a lot of the things that rob manfred has done to begin with are are ridiculous uh but i just there there there's no place for that it was almost like a personal insult to the guy who's the best player in the game he's a, a great teammate by all accounts good guy all he wants to do is win, plays hard, 
you know, he does everything the right way. And just because he's not Mr. Personality, he takes a shot at him. I think that's beyond weak. And it's not as, you know, to say it's a Mike Trout problem and not a baseball problem is totally disingenuous. Frankie Lindor is a superstar player, right? Guy's got the million dollar smile. No, you know, you saw it last night in the all-star game and, and Joe Buck, and they were all fawning all over him saying, who has more fun playing baseball than Francisco Lindor? Do they promote him at all? He doesn't get promoted. Bryce Harper doesn't get promoted. These guys don't, if you want to point the finger at anybody, you should point the finger at Major League Baseball for not pr- promoting their stars enough. Uh, the, the, the main problem with Mike Trout is he plays for the second team in Los Angeles. If he played for the Yankees, I think it would be a completely different story. He'd be getting the Derek Jeter treatment, um, but he doesn't. He plays for the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim or whatever they're called these days, and he gets buried in that West Coast time zone. Uh, you know, th- those games are not seen as much as as they should be. Uh, you know, because listen, I'm not. I'm the one of the biggest baseball fans I know. Do I watch random ten o'clock baseball games on the East Coast? No, I don't. But I know how great Mike Trout is. It is it, it's, it's a baseball, you know, major league baseball problem that they don't know how to promote their stars properly. I can't blame that on Trout. And you know what? Like you said, Tom, kudos to the Angels for firing back. I loved it. You know what? I thought that was fantastic. That was, that was 100% the right move. And, 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 you know, Trout's a great guy. And why, why is the commissioner of baseball taking a shot at him? I think that is beyond weak. I, I so I, I like I read I I was uh, I'll just jump in real quick I I read the quote I didn't hear him say it out loud and when I read the quote it made a lot of sense to me and I'm not obviously not a huge Manfred guy I don't really care for him as a commissioner but he, it it sort of felt like he said hey listen if he wants to be promoted and he wants to be a superstar that's fine we'd be happy to promote him and all that stuff and I don't know if I totally buy that but I also don't get the vibe from Mike Trout that he's dying for a ton of attention and to, to play in the spotlight. He absolutely deserves it. Obviously as a player, he's incredible. He's far and away the best player in the game over the last several years. And and that sort of stands on its own, but I also don't really get the feeling that he's this guy that wants a ton of attention or, you know, is really, really needs that to feel dated. So on the surface, it sort of felt like one of those conversations that could have been, between just the Angels and Rob Manfred saying, hey, if he wants it, let us know and we'll do it. We, obvi- we obviously think he's the player that we can do that with if he if he wants to sort of embrace that and be that guy. Um, so on the surface, it sounds like that. But also at the same time, it doesn't feel like one of those things you should be saying in a random interview um, yeah. to everybody. Well, one of the I things agree. I would... I was just going to say that um, TD to your point about him playing for the second team in Southern California, the, the thing that kind of blew my mind, somebody tweeted this the other day and um, I had, I went and looked it up myself because I didn't believe it. I thought they were kidding. Um, Aaron judge of the Yankees. Now he's playing for the more, most storied franchise in American sports, the biggest media market in the country um east coast you you could not ask for a, a better um you know set of circumstances and f- as far as building star power and he's got i think about 318,000 followers on twitter jose calderon now former cleveland cavalier has over 500,000 
which just speaks to the marketability i feel and i and i know sometimes i i'm as guilty of this as anyone of giving uh twitter too much credit in terms of being a bellwether for uh, you know how casual fans feel and things like that but it just it kind of is a shocking number when you're just looking comparatively that uh, a relative you know journeyman nba player versus one of the fastest rising stars on the most visible team in baseball and there's that kind of a disparity well here tom i got i got i can answer the reason for that pretty easily the nba is a sport that millennials and like my kids, they're way more into the NBA. Well, my kids love baseball because I love baseball. But most of my son's friends, they couldn't name you three players on the Indians, but they could name you the entire Cavs roster. It's because the average age of baseball fans, I'm a young baseball fan and I'm 42 years old. And that's where that all comes in. The majority of these people with Twitter accounts, I mean, I believe are in the age range of NBA of of more of an NBA crowd of a baseball than a baseball crowd. And also, you know, for all we know, Aaron judge does absolutely nothing on Twitter and never has. And he started a Twitter account and like, he never did anything. And that's why, and you know, maybe Calderon doesn't, but I, I, I get the, what you're saying. It's, it also speaks to, I saw something else the other day was something like in terms of visibility or popularity amongst American sports fans, Mike Trout ranked equal with, with um, it wasn't Paul Millsap, but it was somebody, it was somebody in the NBA. Who, Kenneth, oh, it was Kenneth, Kenneth Farid. It was Kenneth Farid. Yes. Wow. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was basically on par in, in, you know, visibility or Q rating or whatever it is with Kenneth Farid. So I, I think a lot of it is just baseball is just not nearly as popular as the NBA. What, what, okay. So it's why also does... not, a, it's also not an individual sport. Like Mike Trout, how many how many times a game does he make a, like a play? Right. Does, do you notice Mike Trout on the field? Okay, I'm five, so, six, seven times maybe. I'm right? so glad you you brought that up because one of the big takeaways from last night's All Star game was that you had I think 14 runs scored and 13 of them came on home runs and there was I think 25 strikeouts, so there was a whole lot of inactivity in the game. And b- believe me, I'm not knocking the the direction the game is going in i mean you get into launch angles and you know guys want to get the ball in the air more and there's more value in being a 225 hitter if you're gonna you know uh, hit more home runs and you know there's a reason teams are doing this you know it's the same reason the teams are going to fire up more three-pointers in basketball and i get that but you know if you want to showcase guys athleticism and excitement you know Guys on the base paths trying to get an extra base or a play at the plate or, you know, making amazing plays in the field. Those are the most exciting moments in baseball games. And a lot of that is really getting taken away with the direction that the game is going, I think. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and they're kind of at a crossroads here and they have to figure it out. And I listen, I, I have no answer for it, but, you know, there's definitely, I mean, the, the, the numbers don't lie. You know, like you said last night, was 10 home runs hit and what was it 25 strikeouts and right. something like that i mean and i think and so there's 10 home runs hit. how many singles were there right and and the, the stolen bases are down and and you know the the i personally like the analytics uh portion of of baseball uh i i think banning the shift is stupid um you know 
I like the fact that teams don't bunt anymore, you know, for the most part, except for our manager who stubbornly <laughs> continues to love, you know, the bunt and giving up free outs. Uh, they, they they have to figure something out, and I don't know what how they're going to do it because they are definitely far behind the NFL and the NBA with the younger generation. They really are. Um, you know, I again, I have kids who are um, eleven and eight, and they both love the game. But I think if their father did not love the game the way that I do, they wouldn't care. I also a season ticket holder, and I go to a million games a year, and I take my kids with me. And because of that, and I've done it all the time, they've built that love, but there's not many, but of my friends, of my crew here, I can honestly say that, like, let, let's say, of, I, I mean, I would say maybe I have one other person. I have two friends, I would say, that are tribe first and love baseball, and the rest of them could take it or leave it. And that's, and, and that's a, I think that's how it is with everybody. I really do. I mean, you know, sports talk during the summer is notoriously the, the most dead time of the year. No one talks about baseball. Because what are you going to do? You talk about you can talk about the game from the night before for only so long, and there's only so many conversations you can have. I don't know. You know, I also am of the opinion though that regular season NBA is completely meaningless, but yet still extremely popular everywhere else. I'm, but again, I know I'm in the minority, so they got a problem that they have to address, and I don't know. Uh, you know, smarter people than me are, are working on it. I don't know what they're going to do to fix it. All right. Well, let's shift gears. I'm not totally sure they are smarter. Really quick. I'm not totally <laughs> sure they are smarter because they don't seem well, to be doing you. a very good job. That's true. That is true. All right. The let's gambling. Let... The gambling portion might have something to do with it, and that's a whole other conversation for another time. But when, oh, well, when that... gambling becomes legalized everywhere, then we'll have that conversation. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll bring you back on for that. Uh... Yes. In the meantime, though, let's uh, let's talk about the tribe. Um, six all stars and uh, mostly quiet last night. Um, one of those guys, though, Jose Ramirez, really putting up. I think one of the all time great individual off uh, offensive seasons in Indians history, all around. I mean, he he's doing it all. Um, where do you even begin with this guy? He's my definitely my favorite player and has been for the last you know, three years. I love the way he plays. I love everything about him. He's, I love the George Jefferson walk. I mean, I love it all. I mean, he is, <laughs> he is fantastic. Right. But what's amazing to me, I was watching the all-star game last night and a lot of the coverage leading up and everything is, is Mookie, are Mookie Betts and Aaron judge, you know, the, the, the next best players after, um, after trout and, could those guys make a, make a run at Trout? And I'm thinking to myself, does Jose Ramirez not exist on this planet? He, he's, he's second, basically, in every major, you know, in, in war. Uh, you know, statistically, he's, he's right there with Trout in everything. Defensively, he's a gem at third. He's got 20 stolen bases in 23 attempts. He does everything. He's a true five-tool player, he's, and he's only getting better. And the fact that the Indians have him on this this contract that he has signed, how his agent has not been fired is beyond me. If I were him, I would have canned that guy in the middle of last year because if he hit the open, okay, here, here's what's interesting. Bryce Harper is going to get, you know, they say anywhere between 300 and 400 million on the open market today, right? Because of his age. What would Jose Ramirez get right now? What do, oh, what do yeah. you think? Switch hitter, better defender, and has proven to be, other than hitting home runs, 
superior to Bryce Harper in every other facet of the game. He is. He'd be getting the yeah, I mean, Harper's got, Harper, Harper's got an MVP under his belt, and I don't necessarily disagree. Playing in an point. inferior league. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> agreed. 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 Um, but I think, I don't, I mean, yeah, if, if Harper is legitimately going to get anywhere near what they said he would get at the beginning of the season, and people were talking like 400 million range, which just seems insane to me, but Ramirez shouldn't be far behind him. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know that there's anyone who's not on, you know, their, their sort of, I, I don't even know what you call them. They're, they're minor league, they're rookie contracts. Like obviously Francisco Lindor is an absolute steal, but he's not going to be for yeah. long. Right. Right. Um, the fact that they got him on this deal is is kind of insane to look at. What is it? Another five years, and if he hits every incentive in the contract, the entire value of the contract is what fifty million. It's it's unbelievable, and you got yeah. him locked in through his prime. So here's here's his his contract numbers. Okay, so this year he's made age twenty five, playing the way he's playing. Right, two point eight. Next year, four point one. 2020, 6.6, 9.4, and he'll still only be 28 at that point. The Indians hold team options at age at his age 29 and 30 years at 11 million and 13 million. And the earliest he could, I mean, we they have him if they want. If he continues to play like this, he is under team control until tw- after the 2023 season. It's unbelievable. <laughs> what I mean, you, the value of that is is. And that's where you'll be able to, to add more talent because you have your best players. Well, your best player essentially besides Frankie, if, if he probably is better than point uh, this year, arguably. Uh, but you'll be able to add because he's on such a cheap contract. It's the same thing with that Carrasco contract. It's a total gem also. And the Kluber contract is a gem too. I mean, you got to give credit to our front office for stuff like that. They never, you know, People crap on them all the time, but these are the type of things that go totally untalked about. And that's the reason why they were able to add Edwin last year and hopefully, and, and add uh, Andrew Miller two years ago and hopefully, you know, add some more pieces at the deadline this year. And we'll see what happens in, in tonight's year. All right. Uh, another player on the tribe I wanted to talk to you about Michael Brantley. Um, when the Indians picked up, his option, I thought it seemed a little bit dubious at the time, uh, given the uh, injury history and whatnot. Um, but, you know, there he was in the All-Star game last night, and he's had a pretty fantastic first half of the season. And when you look at the injury problems that the Indians have had in the outfield elsewhere, um, where would they be without him uh, holding things down in left field this year? I was just going to say, Imagine if they picked up that option and he was injured like he was last year, how bad this outfield would be. He, he, he's played. So last year he played 90 games and he's already played in 84, which is, you know, pretty, pretty amazing. I, I had the over under at about 110 games. I didn't think that I, I'll be the first one to admit. I thought it was a huge mistake picking him up for $11 million. I thought there was much better ways to spend that money, but in the end, moving him to the two hole has been fantastic. He's, you know, pretty much played in every game for the most part. You know, they give him, you know, days off here and there. You know, defensively, he's, you know, average at best. And his base running, you know, 
he's a lot slower than you think he is, but still, where would they be without him? You know, uh, you know, eight eight forty eight OPS this year. You know, he's 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 got more power. You know, he, I mean, I know he hit his first home run in a while, but you know, he he's shown a little bit more power than yeah. He hit nine homers last year. He's got twelve already. I I, I just I'm thrilled with how things turned out. I didn't think he was ever going to approach being this good again. And it's going to be very interesting to see what kind of market he has uh, after the season being a free agent. You know, he'll be 32 next year. I mean, I could very well see him coming back to the Indians on, you know, a, a deal that's going to be, you know, good for both sides. I don't think the Indians would. Because I, I just don't think going into his age 32 year with his injuries over the past two years that anybody's going to be like, hey, Michael, here's $45 million for two years. I just, I don't see that. So he could come back again next year, and hopefully he does. But, you know, like you said, I don't know where they'd be without him, judging uh, on the, how the rest of the outfield has been, which is, uh, you know, with two gigantic holes, in my opinion, center field and right field, that have been, you know, have to be addressed. Yeah, speaking of Yeah, which, I was a little stunned at the time. Uh, I was a little stunned at the time when – the extension or the when they picked up the option and everybody's it almost seemed like people were in sort of unanimous agreement that it was a terrible move for the Indians at the time I thought to myself like well it's, I mean it's 11 or 12 million I didn't really see them ponying up a ton of cash to sign anybody else you know to sign any other sort of free agents obviously like Jay Bruce was a name that people wanted him they wanted uh, to go out and re-sign him. I just didn't see him ponying up the cash for those guys. So in my mind, it was, hey, they're going to spend some money on a guy. That, yeah, it's a risk, but it's a one-year deal for, what, 12-ish million, something like that. Yeah, it's it not that crazy. Yeah. Some, yeah. So to me at the time, I was like, okay, if it works, great. If not, it's it's one year. Who right, cares? So one year, right. No, they always say there's no such thing as a bad one-year contract unless it's Brett Myers. But uh <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and if you look up, they the Mets gave Jay Bruce, I think it was three and thirty six million, something like that, and he's been terrible this year, and and which which is crazy. I I really wanted them to somehow figure out a way to bring him back. He he, I loved what he brought last year. I think he was totally re-energized by being here, um, but you know didn't didn't work out, and the Brantley thing has so far. Right. Yeah, so, same with uh, same over at first base with uh, obviously Santana yeah, not been lighting the world on fire over in Philly, and Yonder at a fraction of the cost has been just as productive. Yeah, and you know what I I know uh, some people I think had higher expectations of Yonder than I did. I walked I, I in my head I've had low expectations for him. It's the old. You know, when you want to go to when you have to go to something that you don't want to go to, and you go in with low expectations, and you're usually pleasantly surprised. That's how I've been with Yonder. He's given us as as much as I I could have asked for. I think he's been, you know, solid, unspectacular, and solid. His defense hasn't hurt them really. I mean, because he came in with the rep of a poor defender, and Carlos had really turned himself into a great defender. You know, if if my only beef with signing Yonder was at the time was that I really loved the fact that Carlos was a switch hitter and he really balanced the lineup out. You can see that, you know, now because of the, you know, it's, it's easy to match up with our, our 8 million left-handed bats that we have. Uh, but, but Yonder's been solid. I, I, I have had no, and, and for $7 million and you got him again for $7 million next year, that's, 
fine by me. No problem. If he's going to do what he does this year, I'll, I'll stick with it. All right, so I wanted to go back uh, a minute. You had mentioned the rest of the outfield. We got uh, Bradley Zimmer dinged up. Lonnie Chisenhall going to be out for a while. Um, do we expect to see either one of them back anytime soon during the regular season? So I think Lonnie was it eight to ten week or a ten. To, I can't remember. If it was eight to ten or ten to twelve? The the, the you know, it's a real shame because last year before he got hurt, Lonnie had was really swinging a good bat, and I and defensively, I, I'm I'm a fan of him. I I think he's got a cannon out there, and he really has turned himself into a solid outfielder defensively. Um, I don't see any way, you know, you know, it was like last year. It's, you know, he came back. I think it was like the last week of the season. You just you can't just sit out for three months and come October. Put him in the lineup, he'll be fine. It just—it's not going to work out. It's—it's it's just not. Um, I don't expect much from Lonnie, if anything, the rest of the way. I mean, if they can get him back, maybe at the beginning of September, and he can play a full month without being hurt. But it's hard to count on him when these calf problems, co- you know, continue to pop up. Um, as for uh, Bradley Zimmer, you know, when 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 he was healthy. He wasn't really giving much. He's still striking out way too much for my liking. I love his defense, but I, I, I need to see more. I wanted to see what Greg Allen was going to, to give. I, I thought that they were, you know, when, when uh, Zimmer got hurt, I thought it was, was good. Allen give Allen a shot. He's been very up and down. I just, I don't see how you can go into the playoffs with the outfield the way it is and, and, you know, expect things to, to go well. I, I don't, I don't see a world series winning outfield of a center field platoon of Greg Allen and or Bradley Zimmer with Rajay in, in center and right field being, you know, Naquin and or Lonnie and Brandon Geyer. I think all those guys are very replaceable and I would love to see, you know, I, I mean, obviously I'm sure we'll talk about trades, but in, a, I, in addition to fixing the pen, I'd love to see them get a real outfielder, you know, a right-handed hitting Jay Bruce, if you will, from last year. Because I, I think they really need it. All right. The bullpen is has been much maligned for a good portion of the year. But uh, the, the picture you're painting here, is outfield a bigger priority at the trade deadline? You know, I definitely think that you need to bring in one to two more arms if for any reason, just, just so you can stop – overtaxing these starters you know when you get to october you don't need that many bullpen arms because if 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 kluber bauer and carrasco and clevenger are pitching the way they are they're going to get you into the seventh you know sixth seventh eighth inning at a minimum and at that point with the days off and the breaks that you get during the playoffs really how many bullpen arms do you really need you know you're going to have hopefully andrew miller completely healthy you're going to have cody allen and you know, depending on how the second half goes, you're going to have the, you know, my boys, Ollie and Neil as well. And if Shane Bieber is a strike throwing machine, the way he is, it wouldn't shock me if they put him out there in the pen uh, for the playoffs too. So really you, I think they're just one power right-handed arm away from really solving this thing for October. I'd like to see them add two arms, you know, uh, but in terms of priority, 
you know, it's a really tough call. I mean, the bullpen has probably cost them more games than the outfield has cost them this year. And I think one way or another, the team is going to sink or swim with how that top five in the order goes. You know, last year, if, if Frankie and J-Ram and Kipnis, when, they were, when he was up top, produced the way they were supposed to those last three games, the Indians win that series, regardless of how the bullpen were, you know, was pitching. So I would probably say that, you know, you're not going to – if they left the outfield the way it is, you're going to have to live or die with those, those guys at the top. The bullpen's probably more of a priority, but I don't think they should neglect the outfield. I think, you know, you got to find. To me, I would look, and, and you know, this is probably getting ahead of what you want to talk about, but I would look for a team, you know, uh, for example, the Pittsburgh Pirates, who can offer you an outfielder and a relief pitcher, and kind of go for one big deal that way. I like it. That was actually that, that that seems like a good uh, natural segue. You've laid out for us what you'd want to do. Um, yes. What do you think the Indians are trying to do? I think they're trying to address address the bullpen first, and I think they've been. I think they're being patient, which I don't love because again, talking about saving these guys and saving their arms for, uh, you know, October. I mean, this past week is is a prime example of that I went to. This past week, I went Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, Saturday, and Sunday. And when I was watching these games, and, uh, you know, it seemed to me like Tito was leaving the – well, it doesn't seem to. It was. Tito left in his starter too long. It, it was definitely four times. Uh, you know, he's just he, – because he just doesn't trust these guys except for basically Ramirez, Oliver Perez, and Cody Allen. You don't have to start your, you know, when a guy, you know, Clevenger the other night on Saturday night, to me, was clearly done. There was no business for him to come back out to start the seventh. And the leadoff guy hit one, you know, the leadoff guy was Austin Romine, who ended up hitting that Little League homer, which was the difference. Um, You know, if you had one more bullpen arm, then you don't have to do that. So what I would do and what they're going to do uh, are probably two different things, but I think they're going to add at least one, if not two, bullpen arms. And I think they're going to try and get away with this outfield, and maybe we'll see Melky Cabrera get another chance. I, I, I'm hoping I'm wrong, but I think that's the way they're going to go. Uh, I have two ideas of, of, of teams and trades that I would, that I would go with. Um, first and foremost, and I, I brought this up in, uh, on Twitter a couple weeks ago, was the team that I am calling is the Pittsburgh Pirates. They got Starling Marte, who can play center field, that's right-handed, has good speed, under club control. Uh, I believe it's through 2022-ish. Uh, no, I'm sorry, 20, 2021. They got, and he's making, right now he's, he's in his, you know, he's 29 years old. He's in his prime. This is the guy who can answer your center and or right field issues, depending on where you want to go. And they also have that closer uh, uh, all-star closer, Felipe Vasquez. Neil Huntington worked for the Indians. He's familiar with our, uh, you know, with our front office and worked with these guys. I believe there's a trade to be had. And you know what? There, there's only so much of a window that the Indians are going to have this pitching staff and these stars making this money, uh, you know, the, the star guys not making a lot of money. I would go to them and I would – you know, I'd give them what they want uh, for those two guys. I think those two guys solve 
a lot of problems for you. You add Vasquez to that bullpen with Miller, Cody Allen doesn't have to close anymore. He can become that right-handed power arm that I was talking about. And then you can flip-flop Miller and Vasquez as closer if you'd like. I mean, it's not exactly – it's not as, as if uh, Cody's uh, lighting the world on fire at the back end right now. And I think the closer spot come October is kind of an overrated, you know, situation. You're, you know, unless you have a Kenley Jansen or one of those. You know, two years ago, if you go back to game five of the uh, ALCS – he, Tito went to Cody before he went to Miller and let Miller close it out when they won that series. He's been known to flip-flop those two guys in roles. Last year, I believe in the middle of the season around the All-Star break, he flipped their roles just to get them ready for October. So if you add another big power left-handed arm, you just slot Cody into that power right-handed arm slot and he doesn't have to close. That's what the, the, the Pittsburgh deal works for me one that you could probably get away with trading lesser prospects or less prospects would be Cincinnati. Uh, Rizal Iglesias, their closer. Again, another guy who'd be under team control for another few years. And then they have a glut of outfielders, whether it's Scott Shebler, uh, Adam Duvall. And maybe if you want a speed guy, you could go Billy Hamilton. I mean, yeah, I know he's been disappointing, but it's gold glove caliber out there and he's, he's still got the wheels. Um, th- that's probably a deal you could make and, and give up less than, you know, your all of your top guys. So what do we think we're at? I mean, so I, I think I'm with you. I think they need more help in the outfield, but I'm not totally sure they get that. I watched Melky Cabrera play tonight actually down here in Columbus, and that didn't necessarily inspire me a whole lot. Um, but how much of the, of the uh, sort of the big name farm system guys, the names that we hear all the time, um, do we think they're actually willing to get rid of many of those guys in general? Um, here, here's what I'll say. I think that the organ, well, what I have heard is that the organization is not nearly as high in Mejia as the rest of baseball is, uh, you know, Francisco Mejia, number one catching prospect in baseball. Um, you know, everyone remembers the 50 game hitting streak that he had uh, in the minors, you know, supposedly a hitting machine. I look at him. He's tiny. I mean, I know Jose Altuve is tiny too. He just looks so tiny to me. He doesn't, he doesn't look like this is going to be the next great catcher in baseball. I just, I don't see it with him. I don't like the, the fact that basically they told him, Hey, your fastest path to getting here immediately is learn how to play the outfield. He could, he could be starting in right field right now and he wants to stick with catching. Listen, I get, he wants to be a catcher. I get that his value in his bat is more appealing as a catcher. It doesn't mean he's abandoning the catching position, but how do you not want to be in the majors right now and be a starting player on a team that could end up in the playoffs? There's something that is amiss there. And the fact that they brought him up for a couple days, they, they, you know, DH'd him one, they sent him immediately back down. There's, he's, he's, he's entering that, you know, I just any any deal that gets made, any major deal that gets made, I gotta believe he is the centerpiece of any major deal they're gonna make. To me, the only prospect that is untouchable, I mean, it would depend. I would say nobody's untouchable, but depending on the deal, I would not trade Tristan McKenzie. Um, I, you can never have too many starting pitching arms, as as we all know. I'm not interested. You know, they they dealt just to Sheffield two years ago. Um, in the Andrew Miller trade, and I would make that trade over 
you know, a hundred of times again, because without Andrew Miller, you don't make it to the world series. And he had Miller for two and a half years, but I wouldn't trade Tristan McKenzie. I, depending on the deal, I would consider trading Bieber, but you know, the way he's been, I would leave him where he is. But when a guy doesn't throw that hard and he's, you know, pinpoint control guy, um, you know, some, sometimes, you know, you might want to look into trading him at his peak value. I, two years ago or three years ago when Cody Anderson was, you know, pitcher of the month in September, he was doing it with smoke and mirrors. He was never a top prospect like, like Bieber rose the way he was. And I always said, this is the guy you got to deal at his peak value. So maybe they look at that and say, well, you know, we made that mistake once. Maybe we don't do it again. I don't know. Anybody else though, in, in the organization, whether it be you Chang or Nolan Jones or Will Benson, I'm willing to, I'm willing to part with because as we all know how hard it is to get back to a world series and just to make it to the playoffs, this division is as bad as it's going to be. You're going to make the playoffs. You're going to make the playoffs again next year. Most likely too. I'm going all in on these next couple of seasons for sure. So that's probably why I would put nobody untouchable except for probably McKenzie. All right, outside of the trade deadline, what do you see as being the biggest storylines that we need to keep an eye on in the second half of this season as uh, we make the march toward October? Well, Tito, well, number one is Tito's handling of the rotation and making sure that these guys are fresh for October. Um, they're already pitching, you know, too many innings. Bauer was standing because Bauer's got, you know, he can do whatever he wants as far as I'm concerned. Um, but it's Corey Kluber, to be honest with you, is my biggest concern. You know, he hadn't, they still haven't yet, other than Tom Hamilton saying stuff on the air, the organization has still yet to admit that, that Kluber was hurt last October when it was clear that he was not himself. The last month of the season, also not himself. His one good start against Oakland, he very, he escaped, you know, he could seven innings and gave up no runs, but the wind was blowing in and there were about three balls in that game that would have been hit out on any other day, except for the fact that the wind kept them in. I know they gave him a knee injection and they're claiming it's not a big deal, but I'm very concerned that he is not hundred percent right. And if this team is going to win the world series or at least get to a world series, they're not going to be able to do it unless Kluber's Kluber. So he's the one guy I really want to pay attention to. And, you know, I think that's a big part, a big storyline for, uh, the second half of the season. And then from a, you know, from, from the positional player standpoint, I, you know, I want to see if Jason Kipnis can keep up his recent uh, stretch of hitting and whatever happens with the trade dead, you know, with, with the trade additions. I mean, are we going to end up, you know, potentially getting another bat that pushes Kipnis to the outfield again? Uh, and, and Ramirez a second, are they going to add another outfielder and, and, and get a right-handed bat to help stabilize um, and whoever that is is going to have to fit in w- with this chemistry that seems to be pretty good. Um, so those are my big two things. I mean, it's obvious to say the bullpen because just bad bullpens will kill a season, and we've already seen in the first half that this team would be 15 games up if the bullpen you know, pitched like it had the last few years. But I think that they'll address it, and I think come October they'll be fine because you don't, you know, as I said before, you know, maybe you put Beaver back there, you had one more trade guy, and then really you're not using – because if you think that Zach McAllister and, and Dan Otero and Tyler Olson and, and, you know, those guys are going to pitch meaningful innings in October, you're fooling yourself. And if they are, 
we're dead. <laughs> it's true. I, I mean, if I see, I, I, I was at the game when he went to Otero, and I, I mean, I know it was the mistake, and I could not believe. I, I still, I still, I know this is a sidebar we're going to here. I still can't believe that Carl Willis did not, when he said, get OT warm, Carl Willis, who's worked with him at Boston and Cleveland, didn't turn to him and say, are you sure that's what you meant? I mean, yeah, it almost feels like he was just kind of sleepwalking out there, right? Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Not paying attention to what's actually going on in the game. Right. And that's the other thing like, you know, you should be able to have that conversation, but even if you feel like you can't, there's nothing wrong with asking you know, is it this guy or that guy? I didn't hear you. I mean, you're in a baseball stadium with 25,000 people making noise. It's easy to mishear something. So, I mean, you, you could have phrased it that way. That that whole thing will go down as one of the strangest episodes of the entire year. But, but, but uh, I mean, Carl, Carl Willis, you're the pitching coach. You know better than he's going to put up Dan Otero. When, has Otero ever entered a game this season in a spot like that? Of course he hasn't. Not to mention the fact that the two guys he's trusted for the last six weeks hadn't pitched yet. It, it just it, I, I, the the more they kept talking about it, the worse it got for Carl Willis, in my opinion. I, you know, I liked that Francona said it was my fault, it was on me, and last week was probably what well, the week leading up was probably the worst week he's managed in game managing uh, as an Indians with the Indians, and what has he been here five six years at this point? It was easily his worst week. I, he was doing a. It wasn't even just that. He he keeping the starters in too long and the not pinch hitting. There was a game. I can't remember what game it was, but it, he was basically left Yonder Alonso and Kipnis on the bench, and he, he he allowed the biggest at bats of the game to happen from Geyer and Rajay. I, I just you know it, it's almost like he's in he you know to quote LeBron he's in chill mode. You know he's waiting. You know he he's he's biding his time until he gets back over because he knows he's going to get there. I wouldn't trade Tito for, you know, I, I wouldn't trade Tito for any of the manager. Don't get me wrong. I mean, but he's, his, his in-game decisions sometimes leave a lot to be desired. Well, hopefully the all-star break did him some good as well. Give him a chance to yes. uh, recharge, reload, and uh, get things going again here as uh, the pace starts to pick up down the stretch. Uh, TD, good stuff, man. Trav, did you have anything else? Yeah, TD, could you give us a quick uh, synopsis on how you think our president's doing? No, 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 no. <laughs> I know. I noticed you like a lot of that, Trav. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I do. We're we're uh, we're on the same page there, but I don't know if everybody listening is. So we can we can Prob- move on from probably that. not. Probably not. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to say another word. <laughs> oh. I say, I say enough. If anybody who follows me on Twitter knows I say enough. I don't. I don't if you know. want to know his opinions, you know where to find them. Between, right. between that and my therapist, it's like ridiculous, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Oh, oh well. boy. Oh. Let's get to Friday and get some baseball going again, though, right? I mean, I'm, this, this all-star Absolutely. break. Is a, yeah, this all-star break, uh, you know, I, while I enjoyed last night and, and I love the fact that I saw, you know, we had six guys in the game and I, you know, I love that picture they took. If you saw, uh, you know, that the Indians put out of the six of them standing there with their, I, I, I love it. I mean, again, this team has so much talent. There's just, you know, got to capitalize. This is, this is, this has got to be our time. I mean, the, the American League's never been this to, to run through this gauntlet come October. If you're because the way you look at it right now is 
whoever wins the Red Sox and the Yankees division, that's going to be the one seed. We're pretty much, I think you know right now, unless one of those two teams totally collapse, or both teams totally collapse, it's going to be the Astros and the Indians, right? I mean, the way it's shaken out in the first round. Yeah, to, yeah, to it kind of has to be. The only the only surprise will be if whoever loses the East um, also loses the the play-in game or the wild card game. Yeah, but but just to to be able to get to the World Series, you're going to have to go through the defending World Champs who are better than they were last year, you know, uh, and and then either the Red Sox and or the Yankees, and and that's just to get to the World Series. That is going to be quite a gauntlet. But as we you know as we know you know, anything is possible in October. Last year's Indian team looked totally invincible. Couldn't get out of the first round. 97 tried. What they win? Eight, they won, uh, was, I think it was 86 games that year, 88 games. The worst of those 90s teams, two outs away from winning the World Series. So you just never know. Just as I've said many times this year, just get me to October with those four starters and I'll take my chances. Well said. All right, folks, I think that is going to do it for us. As a reminder, you can subscribe to The Nail in the Coffin on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're on TuneIn, and we are also on Stitcher. You can stream us on waitingfornextyear.com. As a matter of fact, the WFNY guys are working on a Tribe Roundtable feature that uh, should be up on the site by the time you're listening to this. So be sure to check that out and uh, go like our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash The Nail Podcast. Our thanks once again to TD Derry for joining us. Uh, always a, a good time talking tribe. TD, thanks so much uh, for uh, taking some time. And uh, for Travis Julie, I am Tom Valentino. This has been The Nail in the Coffin, and we'll talk to you again soon. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.